This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Our text today, which is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, but today we're going to look closely at it. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers have Bibles. They'll bring you one. Just leave it up so that you can follow along as we read these opening verses of this book that we're beginning a series on. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The author of Acts is Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he's referring to that. That's his first book. Verse 2, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel, and he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Oh Lord, Father in heaven, grant us this morning the gift of illumination 
Let us see the glory of God in these verses. Build our faith, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I am asked, you know, do I believe in extraterrestrials? Yes, they're right here in the text. Supernatural beings appeared to these disciples. This was an awesome experience. I read a recent article, 45 of the worst movie sequels of all time, ranked by how awful they were. 45. I didn't even know there were that many sequels. I've, I'd seen a lot of the movies mentioned, a lot of the original movies, but I'd never heard of the sequels. But apparently, Hollywood has long been in the business of pursuing sequels to successful movies, and the results have been disastrous. These 45 that they listed in the article make history because they're historically awful. Movies like Staying Alive, never heard of it, but it was a sequel to Saturday Night Live, which I had heard of. Home Alone 3, that one's obvious. Many had the same well-known actors, good actors, well-respected actors, but they were bad. The worst sequel I ever saw was Jaws 3D. It was so bad. You had to wear the glasses. It was so bad. We actually enjoyed it. It was so funny. Ridiculous. But it didn't make the list of the 45. But the number one worst sequel was Jaws the Revenge. I'd never heard of it. But I thought, well, if it's worse than Jaws 3D, holy cow. I can't imagine. One critic said, dumb beyond belief. I mean, it's just staggering how bad these sequels are. The, the author of the article noticed something in common about these sequels. They didn't really understand why the original film was successful. So they never really understood the first movie. They couldn't make a sequel to the second movie. They were trying to imitate something they just didn't get in the first place, and they failed. They, they botched the sequel. Well, the, the book of Acts is a sequel, but it's not botched. It's part two of Luke's gospel, and it's wonderful. It is an awesome sequel. Verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. It's a clear link to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative, in other words, other Gospel writers, of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me, to Luke, also, having followed all things closely, 
for some time past to, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. In Acts 1, Luke is looking back. He's summarizing the final scenes of the Gospel of Luke. And he's preparing us for all we're going to experience in the book of Acts. His point is so clear. The story of Jesus is not completed. When you just tell about his ministry, his death, and his resurrection, it's not over. Luke, it's great, but it's not over. Luke, now in the book of Acts, he's going to narrate what Jesus continued to do. What he continued to teach after he ascended into heaven. After he was seated at the right hand of God the Father. He continued his work through his spirit, through the church, through his followers. And he's, he's continuing today. Make sure, congregation, individuals, make sure you are empowered for your mission because you have one. And we have a promise that he is with us always through his spirit. So let's look at this text. The great sequel, the, the book of Acts is every bit as good as the gospel of Luke. It tells the story of the post-resurrection advance of Christ's kingdom. It starts in Jerusalem. Acts 28, it ends in Rome. And in between is this detailed historical record of how these disciples who saw him raised from the dead proclaimed their faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ. One writer, I can't say his last name, Fleur, maybe? I'll just call him Gabriel. With respect to historical accuracy, Acts stands as one of the most trustworthy ancient documents. But more importantly, this is what's so important. It's part of the Word of God. Don't miss Mitch's prophetic word. I believe it was the Holy Spirit encouraging us. This is the word of God. It's so important to us today. Therefore, it is the spirit-inspired narrative. Historically accurate, but spirit-inspired narrative of how the resurrection of Christ shaped the early church and its mission. How it should shape us. Our goal in this series is to be shaped by, by our faith that Christ has been risen from the dead. He's risen from the dead. And, and we want to do our part in advancing his kingdom. These, these first 11 verses are just loaded with truth. There's not enough time to look at it all. We'll find that repeatedly as we look through the book of Acts. But we want to take full advantage. I want to look at three 
significant realities that should influence our understanding and help us as we seek to apply all we're going to learn about in this book. So here are three significant realities. Number one, God the Son, incarnate, reigns, God the Son reigns from heaven. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his death on the cross, after his burial, after his suffering by many proofs, he presented himself alive. They were going to be his witnesses. So he proved, I've been raised from the dead. They were convinced. He appeared to them for 40 days. And he spoke about the kingdom of God, of course. And this is, this is foundational. Verse 3, these first 11 verses, are Luke is laying it out for us. They're foundational to the book of Acts. And especially this theme of the kingdom of God. We are so prepared for this after going through the Sermon on the Mount. This is the resurrection, resurrected Jesus teaching his apostles before he ascends to heaven. That's what we're reading about. He prepares them for this baptism in the Spirit. He teaches them about the role of the Spirit as God is working out his purposes and his plans Here's how the Spirit is going to work. If you read in chapter 28, flip over to Acts 28. Just to see, Luke has framed this book. He's got these bookends. And, and what, what is in chapter 1 and chapter 28, and has everything to do with what, what's in the middle, is the kingdom of God. Acts 28 verse 23 from morning till evening. Let's do that today. I'll just speak all day till evening tonight. From morning till... I'm kidding. Please don't leave. From morning till evening. It's just the point is that, you know, Paul had a lot to say about the kingdom of God. Acts 28, from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Down in verse 30, he lived there two whole years. Morning till evening, two whole years. At his own expense, welcomed all who came to him. I want to tell you about the kingdom of God, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, the King with all boldness, that's a gift of the Spirit, and without hindrance. As we saw in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus emphasized the kingdom of God had already arrived. It had arrived because it was present in His ministry. Kingdom had come because he was here. And, and Luke's gospel was written to provide Theophilus with an assurance about the person and work of Jesus Christ. God's purposes were accomplished through him. He suffered, he died. According to the scriptures, the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled all those promises. 
He inaugurated the kingdom of God. It began in him. He spoke about it. And now verse 3 says, as he appeared to them and proved to them that he was raised from the dead, he spent his time with them, continuing to speak about the kingdom of God. Are you, are you bored? Remember Eric last week talking about being bored? Are you bored with the kingdom of God? Oh, please don't be bored. The risen, living Savior, the King, is still instructing us about his kingdom. He, verse 1, he, he, he had dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And the implication is, now I'm going to share with you all that he continues to do. And all that he's doing now. As we read through Acts, that's his intent now. In the church. He presented himself alive. Resurrection. You're going to see the resurrection. He's alive. He's been raised from the dead. He's ascended to heaven. The Spirit has descended. The Spirit of Christ is present in our congregation this morning. And I am so thankful that you can actually hear a better sermon than this because he's at work in your life. He's alive. Spurgeon said this, the resurrection of Christ is the best attested of all historical facts. 19th century British preacher, many would say the greatest preacher in the history of the church. Remember that this feat was attested by men who couldn't be deceived concerning it because they were there and who sealed with their blood. They died for their faith as well as with their unfaltering testimony, their solemn belief that they had touched him, that they had spoken to him, that they had listened to him, that they had eaten with him and had seen him eat of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb after he rose from the grave. We know that Christ has risen from the dead. He demonstrated he was alive. He proved it. He invited them. Touch me. Luke, the author of Acts, was convinced that this man had been raised. David Peterson in his Commentary says, Luke wrote in such terms for people in the Greco-Roman world where belief in the physical resurrection of Jesus was just as difficult as it is for skeptics today. That's who he's writing to. God the Son reigns from heaven. His kingdom is advancing. He's alive. That's what Acts is about. He's continuing his work. It's about his kingdom, his, it's about the dominion of God in the lives of his people through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Acts is about. He is the one who carries out God's saving plan. Some people talk about, well, what should it be the Acts of the Apostles? That's what my Bible says, I think, the title is. Some people say, well, it shouldn't be the Acts of the Apostles, it should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Well, maybe Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus is 
best, but I saw one commentator said, here's the title, the acts of the Lord Jesus through his people by the Holy Spirit for the accomplishment of God's purposes. So you can just write that in your Bible. Main point, according to Luke, Jesus is alive and he's reigning. Verse two, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse nine, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And I, I just love how these angels say, wait, why are you looking up into heaven? Are you kidding me? You're obviously an angel. For us, this is a big deal. Luke, Luke's point is he is sovereign. He's with his people. He's ruling. He's the king. He's no longer physically present, but he's alive and he is Lord. That's his point. And you're going to see it all through Acts. He, he's reigning. It's not a myth. Eyewitness accounts. They touched him. He's risen. And they boldly proclaim this. It's very, very good news that he has ascended. This is the ascension of Christ. Many would say it's a very neglected doctrine, truth revealed in Scripture. He ascended while his disciples watched. They told, somehow the news got to Luke, and he wrote about it for our benefit. It's very, very good news for those of us who want to have a mission. We want to fulfill the great commission like we talked about. It's very, very good news that he is raised from the dead, that he has ascended into heaven, and that he's seated, we learn from the rest of the New Testament, at the right hand of our heavenly Father, ruling, sovereign, king. It's good news. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, listen carefully, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Memorize that sentence so that when somebody tells you when he's coming back, you say, no. We shouldn't be too critical of the disciples. Jesus wasn't critical of them. They are like readers of the National Enquirer. Inquiring minds want to know. No problem. Understand. They're like us. And Jesus actually endorses their question, but he draws their attention to the important issues. He, he's adjusting their understanding of the nature of the kingdom of God because they misunderstand it, and the timing of the kingdom of God. They're there. Are you going to make Israel great again? Peter made hats, Micah hats, make Israel great again. They all had them on. And he had to correct them. It's not political. The kingdom isn't political. It's spiritual. Note that we are not to predict the timing 
of when the kingdom will come in fullness when he returns. Nothing could be more clear. <laughs> Nothing could be more disobeyed. We are not in a position to predict, our, to predict the time. The, the secret things belong to the Lord. This is one of them. Can't predict the time. Nothing's been more disobeyed. I remember the book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. I was a Christian. It took over the church. I mean, it was so popular. You have it right here. So when, you know, we get 25 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 2025, you need to go, no. You don't know. Only the fathers. There's an important lesson here. David Peterson in his commentary, how foolishly this warning has been ignored across the centuries. What should preoccupy believers is the mission plan that Jesus goes on to reveal. By this means, he gives his own distinctive meaning and purpose to the critical age in which we live. The period between the ascension of Jesus and his return is to be marked by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in the church. That needs to be our focus. Don't be foolish. The message here, there's a good lesson here. Strain everything through the word of God, through the Bible. Don't Calculate the day. Verse 10, while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, he's ascending into heaven. Two men, two angels stood by them in white robes, just like they had done at the tomb after his resurrection, and said, men of Galilee, why, why are you standing there looking? Their point is, he's given you a mission. Get at it. This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, this amazing sight that you love so much. He's going to come back. He'll come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This, this is a promise. He's coming again. We need that promise. He's coming again. Jesus is going to come a second time. The second coming of Christ. After I was converted, there, there was a Christian movie called A Thief in the night. And it was very popular. This lady, she, she wakes up one morning, she hears a broadcast. And remember, I'm a fearful, anxious guy. I'm easy to scare. I got a great imagination. They make me go to this movie. She's listening to this broadcast. It's announcing the disappearance of millions around the world. The radio announcer kind of suggests it might be the rapture of the church. She looks next to her. Her husband is gone. Maybe he's been raptured. You know, as you go through the movie, the United Nations sets up an emergency government system called United Nations Imperium of Total Emergency, or the acronym UNITE, 
first-class, cheesy, ridiculous. It's a terrible movie. And the, you, you, to get anything, you have to get the mark of the beast. If you don't have it, Unite will arrest you. I mean, I'm, I didn't sleep for weeks. <laughs> it seemed like it was intended to scare people because I think it was. It scared me. I, I'm easy to scare. But it, it didn't make me love the Lord's appearing. As I grew in my understanding of Scripture, I thought, that, that's not good, you know, getting out of the Bible what it says. That's reading into the Scripture. I don't agree with it, the, their perspective. But I especially don't agree with that. When you read verse 11, does it scare you? Do you think that's what, you know, the angels were trying to scare us? No. We should love the return of the Lord. John Piper has a new book I commend to you. Come, Lord Jesus. He says this, loving the Lord's coming is an extension into the future of loving the Lord now. And loving the Lord now is essential to being a Christian. I'm, I'm pursuing, says Dr. Piper, a deeper, more authentic, more unshakable love for Christ's coming and would like to bring you with me. And he has done that in that book as I've read it. If I am faithful to what the Bible teaches, I have good hope that God will be pleased to, to do his miraculous light-giving work so that many will not only see the facts of Christ in his coming, but see them as glorious and precious, more precious than all this world. We want to we see that in love is appearing. Number two, second reality in this text we're going to look at. God the Spirit has descended to the church. Verse four, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, Luke 24, behold, he, he, I am sending the promise of my Father. He told them that when he was with them. Now he's been raised from the dead. He's saying it again. In, in Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching after the Spirit has fallen on the church. And he says, Christ has been exalted. He's received from the Father the promise of the Spirit. Now he's poured it out on the church. That's what you're observing. And they're proclaiming the good news about Christ. They're doing it in languages that people there understood, languages they had never known before. It's miraculous. They're proclaiming the glory of God, the gospel story. And Jesus says, wait. Before that happened, he told them to go to Jerusalem. Don't go try to fulfill the Great Commission without the power of the Spirit. Wait. They did in prayer. They waited as he commanded. The Spirit was poured out on the church. There's a definite shift that takes place in God's people. The relationship between the Holy Spirit and God's people has changed. The gift of his Spirit in the last days this is the age of the Spirit. That's the message of the book of Acts. Chapter 2, verse 1. 
When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were praying as he, they were waiting on the Lord as he instructed them. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it, it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire. It's like a theophany, an appearance of God. And this is what they saw. Divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues that nations would understand as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And Peter, in his first recorded, the first recorded sermon in the history of the Christian church, he says it's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, Joel chapter 2. The, the New Testament scriptures have a view of history that isn't confusing. We have this age now, and the age to come. And they're divided by the return of Christ. What's amazing is the age to come after Christ returns and there's a, there's a fullness that comes, a completion. But prior to that, in this age, the age to come breaks in. It breaks in to this age. Peter was preaching this 2,000 years ago. They, they are witnessing on the day of Pentecost the inauguration of the last days. We're still living in the last days. This, this age, this present age, there's a partial, there's an already fulfillment of the coming age. This glory that'll, that we'll see in fullness on when he returns, we, we sometimes experience now because of the Spirit. It's the age of the Spirit. The risen Lord Jesus supports us now. He is with us today. He strengthens us. He protects us. We'll see it all through the book of Acts. We should expect that. We need that to fulfill our mission. The age to come now, it's the age of the Spirit. We, we enjoy the fruits of the age to come in this age by faith. We're in union with this risen Christ. And by the Spirit, we're empowered. It's, it's a game changer. For the Christian life. We need this. We pray for this. We want this. The Spirit gives us victory. I'm not surprised when you tell me your prayers were answered. Or my prayers for you were answered. I'm not surprised by amazing joy. I'm not surprised by strength and courage. I'm not surprised by growing faith. Stronger convictions. That's what the Spirit does. I'm not surprised that you love your enemies, that you're not bitter. I'm not surprised your marriage is thriving. I'm not surprised when you're healed physically. 
I'm not surprised. Sometimes the age to come breaks into this age. Acts is a critical book. It's a gateway into the rest of the New Testament. It lays a foundation for understanding all that we're going to read about. Because of the resurrection of Christ, his ascension, and the outpouring of the Spirit. Jesus ascended to heaven, and the Holy Spirit descended to earth. That's what you're going to see in the book of Acts. I went to Germany a few years ago for the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. It was a revival. It was a powerful move of the Spirit. I saw a Bible that Luther had translated into German, and he had his handwritten notes in it. It changed the world. The wor- it was the dark ages. The, the word of God was shut up from people. They didn't have five Bibles like you do. They didn't have bi- the Bible in their language. They had, to, they had to listen to other interpretations which were often wrong, which actually weren't the word of God. Luther and the reformers were moved on by the Spirit. The result was the word of God. Like all true revivals, the word of God was exalted. People turned their attention to the the word of God. And it changed the world. There was a great revival that still affects us today. Truth, God's truth was better understood. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Go today and buy a Bible if you don't have one. Take one home with you free. Read the Bible. It is God's Word. And it's revealing to us today the promise of the Spirit. This is our expectation. Christ has been raised from the dead, He's ascended into heaven, and He's poured out His Spirit on the church. Nothing has ceased. There's no evidence that any of this has ceased. I don't believe that. I believe he's still at work. Finally, number three, God's people are empowered to fulfill the mission. Their mission. We have a mission. It's for us. And we have a promise of the Spirit. It's the age of the Spirit. The empowering of the Spirit. You know, they ask. They have their MAGA hats on. They ask about the kingdom. When we, is this when you're going to make Israel great again? No. Not for you to know. Don't worry about that. Here's, here's what you need to know. You will receive power, okay, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses. You'll be successful. Not going to be easy. You're going to need power. But you'll be successful. This is the program. God has a plan. He has a method for the spread of the gospel. We're going to see it in the book of Acts. It is meant to reveal to us this this is what's going to happen in, in you in the 21st century. It's for us. We're living in the same age. We're seeing in the sequel. The risen Lord Jesus Christ is still at work. He's not with us physically, but he is present through his spirit. I believe, I believe 
And that he's empowering us to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ, like Peter does in that first sermon, save yourself from this crooked generation. We live in a crooked, confused generation. And our job is to proclaim Christ, risen from the dead, seated at the right hand of God. And I believe he's going to bless that preaching and that proclamation. Peter, the coward. Remember the coward in Luke? He's not the coward in Acts. Why? What happened? Same guy, fisherman. Pretty lousy fisherman. Fishes all night, doesn't catch a thing. It's clear. Peter, he was transformed. Out of my way, I got something to say. Full of courage. Now he's, he's on fire for the Lord. Powerful witness, risking his life. Preaching and proclaiming the good news about Christ. Because he's filled with the Spirit. Roman prisons didn't scare him none. Jesus Christ triumphed over the grave. He's risen. I touched him. I ate with him. He's poured out his spirit as promised. Save yourself from this crooked generation. We command you not to speak. We command you. We, we can't obey. We have to speak what we've seen, what we've heard. That's what they did. And by God's grace, it's recorded in this book. God's word. We must obey God rather than men. It's a new man, different man from the gospel of Luke, isn't it? Denied him three times. When his life was not anymore. Power of the Spirit. I, I hate to admit that uh, I know every detail of the Murdaugh murder trial in South Carolina. Hate to admit it. But I, I would say to the Lord if he asked, it's the woman you gave me. My wife is all about criminal justice. She loves a good trial. And so I learned, wow, she's really into this. So being a good husband, he cares about her, wants to have a good relationship. I did a deep dive into the Murdaugh murder trial. It's a story of a family that had it all. Everything this world offers, they had. Everything. They were gifted, talented, educated. They were rich. They were powerful. They had vacations, boats, cars, the best houses, more than one house. They had... You, you could not have more of the American dream than this family. And it has led to misery. They're drunks, addicts, 
immoral, thieves, liars, manipulators. It's, they have hurt people, maybe killed people, ruined others, ruined their marriages. This world, this culture comes and says, hey, you know, Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. That's a myth. That's a joke. We've got everything you really want. Don't throw your life away chasing myths. Come with us. This is what we'll give you. It's a lie. It's a lie. Well, we... What people must do is respond in faith to Christ. Repent of that sin and turn to Christ to experience true and lasting joy that goes beyond this world. We have the answer. We have the message of salvation. Again, my friend that I can't pronounce his name, Gabriel. Confidence in God's sovereignty should mark our proclamation of the gospel to our culture. Our success may, may not look significant in the world's eyes, but we're not called to win the world's approval. Write that down. Our job is proclamation. The reception of the good news is in God's hands. To be faithful to the gospel in an unsympathetic culture, an understatement, we must keep the resurrection of Jesus central in our preaching and teaching just as Paul and the other apostles did because that's where the power is. He was raised from the dead. In, in that first sermon in Acts chapter 2, Peter rivets our attention on Jesus Christ. He isn't a surprise. The whole Old Testament was about him. And the writers of the Old Testament knew it, and Peter knows it. And the, the other preachers in the New Testament, they know it's all about him. So make sure you get empowered for your mission. Make sure. The Lord is promising you power to fulfill your mission. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Lord, we want to tell our world, our culture, we want to tell them the good news, Lord. We want them to save themselves from this crooked generation. We don't want them to be deceived. We want to poke holes in the lies, the false promises, and proclaim the good news of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would grant faith to those here this morning who are not Christian. Give them faith to believe. And give faith to the church. Give, give faith to each of us, Lord, that we might trust you for the power we need to fulfill your mission. Yes. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. 
To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.